0: to the Bloke and the Bird show. So you know that really annoying buzz?
1: The one you're hearing right now?
0: Yeah, we still haven't fixed it. <laughs> so, but what,
1: we're spending gobs of money in order to fix it.
0: Well, what we have done is we went and spoke to some people who know more about audio recording than we do, which admittedly is pretty much everyone. I was going to say, <laughs> the, the bum on the side of the street
1: that you stopped to talk to, that was a little push in it
0: well you know what was i really didn't think he would know anything about audio inputs or adjusting levels or any of that stuff he was uh, surprisingly knowledgeable of that especially for somebody who was drunk <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> the problem is he kept muttering by all the stuff by all the stuff by all the stuff
0: yeah so actually we we have taken clips of the lovely noise that you're hearing and brought them to some folks who do this kind of stuff for a living and their instant response was, Dude, your mixer's bad.
1: Um, which is very sad since we've been bonding with this mixer for nigh on fourteen years.
0: Yeah. Well this is the original podcast rig that we we are using right now from the start of the Mailbooie.
1: Yeah. So I guess it might be time. I mean, we it has,
0: it has b- more frequent flyer miles than a lot of people.
1: Most of Ohio. <laughs>
0: um,
1: <clears throat> no, I was going to say, we, set sa- we let the mail buoy itself set sail across the ocean. This is uh, the next one to go.
0: Yeah, so we are, over the next week, um, going to be doing some major work to the entire podcasting setup, with the exception of my computer.
1: Which is good because I think we just replaced that, not oh, that long ago. This one's
0: like two years old. Okay. Maybe three.
1: Maybe not ready to be replaced. No,
0: I. I it is more than capable of the issue uh, of recording and and managing our our shows for us. So no, there is no suggestion that of all of the other rip and replace that's going on at the.
1: That's good, because our finance guy is pulling what's left of his hair out.
0: Oh, I thought our finance guy was really appreciating the frequent shopper points.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's not quite sure what he's going to do with those yet, but sadly they are not racking up as fast as the money outflow is going.
0: So, yeah, we hopefully will have this resolved in another show or two.
1: But we really appreciate your patience and your continued support and listening even through the hum. Yeah. Thank you.
0: So moving on to to Formula One and and what has been going on, you know, there's been probably more, more interesting talk about the state of Formula One coming out of the French Grand Prix at Paul Ricard. Then there was interesting racing going on at the French Grand Prix at Paul Ricard.
1: Okay, considering there was exactly zero interesting racing happening at Paul Ricard, um, again, the conversation you had on the street corner with the bum when you finished talking <laughs> about microphones turned into Formula One, which he also knew nothing about, was more interesting conversation than the race at Paul Ricard.
0: No, actually, I ran into some folks at my office who came up to me and opened with did you watch the race last weekend followed shortly by you weren't missing anything if you hadn't seen it. Um, yeah, it as we mentioned, it was not a great race, but there was... Actually, I was really surprised to hear the Sky Sports team this week beating up on Paul Ricard. And the other thing that I, that I found fairly gratifying Was that the Five Live crew, Andy Benson and those folks, were saying the same things we were.
1: Well, yeah, because they listen. I mean, have you not realized that Andy Benson is huge fanboy? (laughs) Huge fanboy.
0: (laughs) Well, I, I have actually, as I suspected... I have noticed that there has been a change in the podcast over the last week or two. You when I asked you about it last week, you kinda denied it and you're like, well, it kinda differ. No, no, they stayed on topic all week long.
1: Well, okay, because on topic was let's diss the French Grand Prix at Paul Ricard. That <laughs> <laughs> was their topic. But no, it's because we're back on the air. They are supremely better. So you're welcome. Well, they were
0: good, they were good before too. But they're staying more on topic. Where before they would run off into talking about ice cream and and. It was some the other whole basketball
1: conversation yeah. that they had in one, <laughs> on one of their shows, that was so indicative of what we do here on the Bloke and the Bird that I, I feel like they felt like they had to fill the void that we left. I'm telling you. Benson's a fan.
0: Benson and Jetty Gao. Well, yeah. We're still working on Palmer.
1: Yeah, well, you know he's young. <laughs>
0: We're,
1: we have to work on our appeal to the millennial crowd.
0: But back to France, and what <laughs> As happened As if there. we ever left. Trying, trying to, to to keep us on on track. Even the drivers are, are, are complaining about what happened in France with Roman Grosjean who, by the way, not just is the Haas driver, but he is the director of the Grand Prix Drivers Association.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Um, He is saying about the current situation of not just France, but how these these tracks are being built, we're putting ourselves in a position which has become a nightmare with those circuits with runoff everywhere. You don't have that problem at Suzuka. You don't have that problem in Monaco. And you don't have that problem in Canada. I always say, Paul Ricard, I love it. It's my home race. Two meters of grass on each side of the white line, track limits. It can become the best track in the world. But just because there's so much runoff, who gives a damn about going straight?
1: (laughs) Well, that's the thing is, why take the racing line when not taking the racing line gives you an advantage?
0: Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that, that they're pointing out is, in a way, Formula One is kind of getting forced into this because tracks can't exist just running car races. Correct. I was trying to find a, the right way to phrase it. It's not really autosport because motorcycles are part of autosport, and motorcycles are the problem.
1: Well, we've said that for a long time.
0: Jeremy Clarkson's been saying that for years.
1: Motorcycles are the problem, too. You know, and with great apologies to a friend of ours who races motorbikes. Um,
0: well, it just goes to say that he is part of the problem.
1: And we've said that for years, too. <laughs> um, but, yes, motorcycles are part of the problem. They need this extra runoff. Right. they I mean it's super-duper dangerous for them not to have this kind of Well, it,
0: it, it's the two things that are done to accommodate the motorcycles. One is is removing the gravel traps and the grass and all of that because, again, as you mentioned, if a motorcycle goes off, that's game over. But the other piece of that is repaving and reprofiling these tracks to remove the bumps that naturally form in it. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, to remove the uneven surfaces that are specifically caused by running Formula One cars on those circuits because they deform the pavement.
1: How cool is that? Just I mean, just stay step back for a second. Forget the motorcycles that we <laughs> are dissing right now and forget how boring Paul Ricard is. Understand that we follow a sport that deforms the very track it runs on.
0: Not just that, but, you know, if if they're not, especially on a street track, and I know IMSO is the same way and IndyCar is the same way, but the downforce and the suction that happens from the cars going by is so great that it flings manhole covers that are not welded down.
1: Can't say it's not a sport. (laughs) I'm sorry. Flinging manhole covers, deforming asphalt. It's a sport.
0: Yeah. Now, one of the areas that they did increase runoff, and, and folks are not complaining about it, is actually over at the Red Bull Ring. Oh. There were changes made to accommodate the motorcycles. But, again, they have to have all these other series. They don't have the the tracks, can't stay financially viable, especially with the deals that were put in place by Bernie Eccleston to host the races and only do Formula One.
1: Well, I mean, think about it you cannot hold a facility that does essentially makes money one weekend a year.
0: For the most part, yes. But to some extent, I, I mean, some of it, I think, depends on how the deal works. Because they do talk about how Hungary is a track that only gets used like once a year. Mm. And dust comes over and stuff like that. And to some extent, street circuits are as well. But street there, circuits- There's some other engineering that happens with these deals that make it work. Now, hung, how Hungary is able to pull it off, because they're, I think, the only one that I, that I've heard of. That doesn't do anything else.
1: Mm.
0: So I don't understand how Hungary can do it. And and yeah, I get that. You know, the depending on the race, the fees were different, and that and the viewership and all of that stuff, and that impacts the equations. But still, that's one race a year.
1: Yeah, but if they weren't making maybe club
0: events. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, if
1: they weren't making any money um, any other time, then, you know, they got a payday.
0: You know who's making a difference, making Who? it up? It's the Skoda Club.
1: The Skoda Club, yes. Well, I mean, okay, let's compare it to something that we know something about. Mid-Ohio
0: mm-hmm.
1: has four event major events a year, and then they fill in their off calendars with Sports Car Club of America and Porsche Club of well, America. Well, one of those
0: four events is actually SCCA. Right. It's like a week-long event.
1: hmm But they fill in all of their other weekends with other things, plus they run the and, and training.
0: Well, well, keep in mind, that's what you know about. So, yes, we know that, that Porsche Club of America, the various chapters, quite a few of them are doing stuff throughout the year, and B, BMW, CCA, and all this other stuff. But there's one other group that tends to go out to that track and and use it as an alternative testing site. Honda. Mm -hmm. Uh, Wow. But not the IndyCar team and any of that stuff. They do it for the road testing. So they have Honda, for those who don't know, not far away from uh, mid-Ohio. Mid-Ohio is considered a home track for Honda USA Mm -hmm. because not far away from... Uh, mid-Ohio, in Marysville, Ohio, is the Honda Performance Manufacturing Facility where the Honda and Acura NSX was developed and is assembled. Okay. And you can actually pay. And and you think about this, how crazy this is. But if you buy an NSX, one of the things that you can do is you can pay Honda for the opportunity to come out to Marysville and help put your car together.
1: Wait a minute. I have to that pay. That you bought them. <laughs> I have to pay to have substandard screws put <laughs> into my car because I'm not going to be as good as the guy that's already got the 10,000 hours on it.
0: Well, it's not the substandard screws. It's whether or not you tighten this, it up to the yeah. appropriate specification. It's
1: the substandard workmanship. I mean, I'd question the workmanship. <laughs>
0: but but that's the thing, though. At that point, if it breaks down, you only have yourself to blame.
1: Okay, that's a problem. <laughs> does that affect the warranty? Well, that,
0: that was going to be my next question is, if, if you assemble it, does Honda just automatically go, yep, sorry, that's on you, man. <laughs> <laughs> Your you warrant- put it together.
1: Your warranty is null and void. <laughs> Please tell me they have adult supervision.
0: Yeah. There, it's it's not like you walk up to the to the assembly line and the, the, the requisite jumper and, and headphones and the Ikea line diagram. It's not that.
1: There's not the little faceless guy with his fingers pointing yeah. to safety first. Yeah. Oh, I should remember that was the way my car was built. <laughs> Oh, yeah.
0: But your car isn't Swedish, so it's not IKEA assembled either.
1: No, it was assembled by Midlanders who were on strike for half the time of it. Oh, that, that car. Yeah, that car. Not
0: not the German one.
1: No, the German one was precisely built with precision and engineering. Precisely.
0: Yes. Without any humor whatsoever. No, there was no. No. no, was nine. No humor. (laughs) Anyway. Everyone was very
1: serious when they put my car together.
0: Yes, it's not a happy place. Anyway. <laughs> it's very Austria. So this weekend, we had a much better race in Austria.
1: All right, do you think that possibly in the driver's meeting, like all the drivers got together, they put their hands in the middle of the room, and they said, all right, guys, we got to make this more interesting because at every part of that track, there was a
0: race. Well, you know, we, we had a really good start. Um, Max Verstappen didn't, but holy crap. Um, had a really good start. Honestly, the middle part got kind of dull. I, I actually did doze off in the middle.
1: Well, which, I always do. Which, so.
0: <laughs> but, but for for me to doze off in a race, it, it's, I mean.
1: You didn't sleep through Paul Ricard, so you can't say came that. Came kind of close. Um, but, no, there was, there was good midfield battles going on.
0: I mean, Lando Norris and I, his seriously? start going wheel to wheel and holding his own for a stretch, not for long, but for a stretch with Lewis Hamilton. I know.
1: I mean, that's got to... I'm sure Lando was, like, super stoked over that one.
0: Not just Lando, but all of McLaren. Oh, I mean, yeah. all of a sudden, I mean, they're, they're not... It, it, it's its not Uh, Ron telling us that... The next team to win a world championship is going to be McLaren. We're, we're not there,
1: but they, from how far back they came to where they were going,
0: they they could be on track for a solid fourth or fifth at this rate, mm-hmm. which is impressive. And if you're Renault, has got to make you absolutely livid. Oh yeah. And um, if you're Christian Horner, you're going see.
1: Told you. <laughs> Um, but you know, we're talking about some of the back marker stuff. um George Russell he while still in the very back end,
0: yep.
1: he still had a race. He didn't come in last. That was kibititza's world. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, he he has been fairly soundly oh, he's been doing better than Robertitza for a while, which is why there's the rumor that he could be on the way out the door and we've got some other rumors to talk to in a bit. But Max is right. After that start, it looked like he was done for, and that was the end of the race. And for him to come back, and and let's fully put this in perspective, not just the fact that this was Max Verstappen coming back from, what did he end up in, seventh? Ninth. After, or, or, I think he dropped all the way to ninth maybe all the way back to to go that far back and to run them. That's just the Max for Stappin' piece. Let's also remember this was in a Honda-powered car (laughs) that slayed two Ferraris and two Mercedes. Yep. I don't think we would have predicted this any time in a while. Well, with the exception of just before winter testing of the first race with McLaren, we would not have predicted anything like this no. ever happening.
1: No. In fact, we thought, we I mean, we seriously thought Red Bull got it wrong to even do this whole thing with, with Honda. But, I mean, they, again, it's the, you fell so far down,
0: mm-hmm.
1: not just Verstappen's falling so far down, but Honda fell so far down, and to come back from those ashes, it's a Phoenix story. It's awesome.
0: Now, Yes, Mercedes had issues with their cooling, and they had to compromise the car. But this is also starting to look a bit like a bogey track for Mercedes. I mean, it's not quite at the level of Singapore. No. But they had a double DNF last year. Mm -hmm. They had, wasn't it Austria when we had Rosberg and Hamilton banging wheels against each other that took Rosberg... Now, it was Rosberg's fault because he pulled off the the move badly, but dramatically hurt Rosberg's race as a result of it?
1: Uh, He did that multiple times at different yeah. racetracks, so it's kind of hard to pin that one down. But yes, it's not been a historically good track for Mercedes.
0: And up until last year, it hadn't been a historically good track for Red Bull either.
1: Well, and that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> that was the other thing I was going to say. Is it's the Red Bull ring, and Red Bull never did well here. So they won.
0: Well, Max won last year too. Yeah.
1: Now I honestly will tell you that I think some of the Max bump that he got is the entire orange stance. You know is... that had
0: that. I'm I'm sure that had at the very least a psychological impact
1: on. him. Well, Lewis talks. I mean, going back to my love affair with Lewis. Lewis talks about that the fans, he can hear them.
0: Yeah, and especially it, in Silverstone.
1: In Silverstone particularly. And it gives him an extra five kilometers an hour. <laughs> it gives him, you know, it's just it's that little push that helps a lot. We are talking about some of the largest and most rabid fan base coming into that, I mean, the whole stands were orange. Well, they y- refer to them as the Max Verstappen stands.
0: Well, okay, but we have a lot of that. And especially since this is a home race for um, for Red Bull, they actually designate stands for... So, it, the same thing happened over in France. Um, Grosjean has, had stands and Kvyat's had stands designated for him in Russia. Nobody was in them. Um- no, that's not true.
1: No, they yeah, weren't. Fans they weren't them. there voluntarily.
0: <laughs> but Vladimir Putin made sure that those stands were full. And in China, they would do the same thing.
1: Well, yes, but we don't have a Chinese <laughs> driver, thankfully.
0: But but that's yeah. my point. Is at a lot of these tracks that's not necessarily unusual. And, and they they were talking about that quite a bit at, at several of the other races earlier this year. Um,
1: but you got to admit, <clears throat> Max fan base is pretty
0: rapid. You know, I, I, I think, and we weren't really watching it back then, we weren't watching Formula One back then, but I think the only driver who, who, that has truly had fans this enthusiastic and yes I know Lewis has a very strong following too um, but fans that were this enthusiastic I think you're probably looking at like Mansell mm. Mansell or Senna or some, somebody like that um, truly
1: it's, uh, he, he's working himself into a phenomenon um, but other than his start he had an incredible race
0: and then there was, what was it, closing, closing laps of the race. It doesn't say in my article what lap it occurred. There was a little banging of wheels. That yes.
1: The children were fighting.
0: <laughs> the children were fighting, nice. Um, wheel-to-wheel battle at turn three, um, Verstappen diving inside Leclerc and gave Leclerc no real room on the outside. So the incident was investigated. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I want to say is I don't have a problem with it being investigated. It's fine. Just because you investigate anything on the track doesn't necessarily mean that there's a penalty. Doesn't necessarily. So I'm good with the fact. I'm I'm totally fine with them investigating it. Okay. Where I was concerned was just like everybody else who watched of not really comfortable with the possibility that they could take the one away from. I know. I mean, it was hard fought all the way through. Hard fought to get to that point where he was challenging Leclerc, and the thought that the stewards would come and interfere in it was alarming. Mm.
1: Well, and especially in recent races where there had been more steward interference. The thing is, I'm thrilled that they have decided that he keeps the win. I'm yep. thrilled about that. I think that is the right answer. The truth of the matter is, I think that the the story would have been different. The result would have been different had LeClerc been pushed off the track and fully disabled, like he didn't finish. Yeah. I think it might have been a different story, but because Because both of them continued forward, they could bang a little wheels, they could have a little contact, and life moved on. And I think that that's what sways the, the decision a bit, because otherwise, you're right, he fought too hard, too long, too well to not actually, truthfully, deserve the win.
0: And I think we have looked at other moves by Max in the past that have been similar. Mm-hmm. And we've called him out on it. And he he's... I think they, the, the stat that they had gave in the Sky Sports broadcast was that there were three other times in Max's career so far that post-race, he lost podiums. Yep. And to some extent, I think those were justified events in this case i wouldn't have thought so
1: well he didn't therefore yep. it's all okay
0: so from the stewards um their explanation read that car number 33 which was verstappen sought to overtake car number 16 leclerc at turn three on lap 69 that's what i missed 69 out of 71 on lap 69 by outbreaking car number 16 When doing so, car number 33 was alongside car number 16 on the entry of the corner and was in full control of the car while attempting the overtake move on the inside of car number 16. However, both car number 33 and car number 16 proceeded to negotiate the corner alongside each other, but there was clearly insufficient space for both cars to do so. Shortly after the late apex, while exiting the corner, there was contact between the two cars in the totality of the circumstances we did not consider that either driver was wholly or predominantly to blame for the incident we consider that this is a racing incident and it was i agree with that and i think this is a bit more in line with the mandate that they that they told us they were they were adjudicating the races by of let them race So I'm glad to see that. Now, there was a lot of question as to why it took so long for this decision to come down.
1: There was drinks. Uh, Not
0: really. Um, Actually, and this is according to uh, Michael Massey, who is the new race director. Um, Can't really call him the new Charlie.
1: Nobody could be the new Charlie.
0: Well, they, they split Charlie's jobs up between people, so he's just the race director. He's not the full-on Charlie.
1: Nobody can be the full-on Charlie. And keep in mind, they had to split the man's job into like six different people.
0: So the decision came down at seven forty-seven p.m. local time, which was more than three hours after the race ended. So he was asked, "Well, why did it take so long um, that for them to come down with the decisions?" He said. Part of the reason was the fact that, you know, this occurred with just three laps to go in the race. So it wasn't like they could react on it during the race. The the race was about done, and these were super short laps. Oh, yeah. Um, But the other thing that he said was that they didn't get going with the stewards' hearing until 6 p.m., and this is because of the various media commitments, the television pen, and the post-race press conference, which all involves the driver's. Then the hearing itself, give or take, was about an hour with all the parties involved. The stewards deliberated, looked at other cases, precedents, and spoke between themselves. By the time you write the decision and then make sure there are no typos or anything in it and so forth, and then summon the teams back, delivering the decision to them, it quickly adds up.
1: It's the typos. Yeah. Somebody couldn't
0: type. Well, part of the problem was... They had somebody come in who was Austrian, but they primarily spoke German, and the FIA issued, they they speak, you know, they're French, but they issue everything in English, and trying to go and find the right typewriter, especially in Austria. All the keyboards are set up for German or Austrian, not for English or French. So you had to find the right keyboard in the right computer and then somebody to translate. And yeah, that takes time.
1: You underestimate the precision that must be adhered to. What's
0: the German equivalent of Spanglish? (laughs) There isn't one. It
1: does not exist.
0: Now, after the decision came down, um, the team bo- Ferrari team boss, Matteo Benotto, said that the team did not agree with the ruling.
1: Of course they did not.
0: However, they said that they would not appeal and were looking to move on from the situation to, quote, support the sport.
1: They're just going to write a letter later.
0: Well, it's one of those things that I, I, I kind of see where they're coming from. They want to support their driver, mm-hmm. and that makes sense. But I think the team is PR savvy enough to realize that if they stood up against this one, the the hatred that would come their way, and I don't think that this time – um, they had Karun Chandok saying that this was a really <laughs> good idea, and it's overwhelming evidence to say that they need to overturn this. Yeah. No.
1: Without Karun, they're, 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 they're stuck.
0: And the mock. And, you know, we didn't mock Ferrari from. We didn't. Ferrari? Yeah. We didn't mock Ferrari nearly as much as everybody else did for relying on Karun Chandok as their overwhelming evidence. And everyone said no, the same thing. An overwhelming evidence. And everyone said the same thing. It's not that Karun is is bad or his analysis sucked or anything like that. It's that, really, you're going to a mm-hmm. journalist's opinion piece and you're saying, this is your overwhelming evidence?
1: Really? The sad part <laughs> is when Karun himself is mocking the,
0: the choice. <laughs> so, moving on to other news. Not fully away from the drivers of the weekend, though. We have some interesting rumors coming regarding Max Verstappen. Really? So, Red Bull Motorsport Advisor, Helmut Marko, also the man who is in charge of the driver development program and driver training program at Red Bull for the entire Red Bull organization, who, you know, is responsible for uh, talent scouting folks like Daniel Ricciardo Max Verstappen and Sebastian Vettel, and well, Pierre Gasly, Daniel Kvyat. He, okay, he, so he he's had a few misses. Um,
1: <laughs> he doesn't hit them all out of the park.
0: Adrian Sutil. Um,
1: yeah, there was Adrian Sutil. Um,
0: anyway, so Helmut Marko was was talking to the uh, German magazine Auto Motor und Sport, and said that he was worried that Max could leave Red Bull. Because of suggestions the team had not yet hit a performance target, it needs to ensure he stays for 2020. Interesting. Yeah. So he didn't reveal any of the details of the performance clause, and he was talking to the magazine before this weekend's race. So the two pieces, the the two speculation, or, or the speculation, of the two potential areas of the performance clause that Red Bull has not hit. Um, One was to be second in the Constructors' Championship um, by the summer break or to have won a race by the summer break of this year.
1: Well, they won a race.
0: They did win a race. So there's that. We don't know exactly what the targets are. Interesting. Yeah.
1: Maybe that is why Christian Horner was particularly thrilled with this win.
0: That could be, as well as Helmet Marco, and the others. Sure. That, and also I think Christian wanted to go and stick it to Renault and everybody else, that we got the Honda, and we're still fighting, and we're still winning, and look at where Renault is. Look at where the Renault teams are. Yeah. So there's that. Um, So – there's a lot of talk of, well, okay, if Max leaves, where could he go for 2020? Well. The rumor.
1: Please tell me it's Ferrari.
0: Mercedes.
1: Taking Valtteri's spot.
0: Well, that would be the thought because, again, they haven't decided on who's going to partner with Lewis next year. Now, I think Valtteri is doing a pretty dang good job of earning that seed. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's been the talk. Now, Max has said in the past that Toto has a cell phone number mm-hmm. and that Toto has spoken with Max in the past. Toto is very clear to say that he has not had discussions with Max this year mm-hmm. and they have not talked about a possibility of a 2020 seat. He says that his priority right now, if he was looking, if, and that's the big thing, if he was looking at an open seat at Mercedes, his priority would be around their juniors who they feel are deserving of F1 seats, including, of course, Esteban, Esteban Ocon. Con, which, remember, Toto manages.
1: Right. I honestly don't think that a Verstappen at Mercedes is a wise choice.
0: Oh, I, I think that they would not, that that Max and Lewis would not mix well at all. Actually, I don't even think a Max and Valtteri would mix well at all.
1: No, and I think that if you had a Max-Lewis combo at Mercedes, you'd wind up with a Fernando-Lewis combo at McLaren in ye oldie days. A divided I garage.
0: Extent, yeah, it, w- it would be like that. Um, and then you have Valtteri, who I think just in general, while he acknowledges that Max is a good driver, I don't think Valtteri respects Max at all.
1: No.
0: Certainly not like he does Lewis. No.
1: But Valtteri seems, seems to approach it from, he has things to learn from Lewis. Yeah. He doesn't think he has anything that he could learn from.
0: Yep. Yeah, I think that's that's probably a fair assessment. So should Max leave Red Bull? We're not saying he will, but should he leave Red Bull? We know one driver who will not be taking his seat, who is in the Red Bull junior program.
1: Daniel Kvyat?
0: No, actually, it would be the double Macau Grand Prix w- winner, Dan Tickdom, who... Last year, when trying to figure out what the future of the junior drivers were going to be as Daniel Ricciardo left and who was going to fill seats, Tictum was one of the folks who was who was marked as a potential possibility if they could get him the super point licenses.
1: Let me guess, or, he still doesn't have a super point
0: license. Or, or, or the super license. He'd get the points for super license. Well, it, it's not even so much that, um, even though he... Um, finished second in European Formula Three last year, um, and was put in Super Formula this year. He's not done particularly well. Um, he scored just a single point from three races, and as a result, he has a lost his Super Formula seat. And Helmut Marco has said that uh, Dan is no longer part a member of the Red Bull program. Oh my! Now Dan has driven. The Formula One car in several tests. He was doing simulator work for the Red Bull team and he is now out the door. Wow. So tap to replace his, his spot is, um, IndyCar, current IndyCar driver Patricio Award. He's a rookie this year. Okay. Um, But uh, newly appointed as a Red Bull junior, uh, will be making his Formula... He he did make his Formula 2 debut in uh, Austria this weekend, and he's expected to take Tickdom Super Formula Drive at the same time. Wow. Yeah.
1: We finally have somebody going from Indy towards Formula 1.
0: Yeah, it's kind of surprising, but it shows that there is a potential to do it. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know what other series Patricio may have raced in that got him the attention of Red Bull because Red Bull's not a player in IndyCar. No. So something had to have happened that he got their attention.
1: Maybe he came up through karting. I mean, that's where a lot of them get their attention.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It. Yeah. Speaking of... Folks who have moved off to IndyCar and are popping up in Formula One again, Marcus Erickson.
1: Marcus.
0: Marcus has been tapped to return to F1 duty. Uh, he'll be taking part in uh, the Pirelli test next week. Oh, cool. Yep. Um, he will be returning <clears throat> with Alfa Romeo f- as part of the 2020 tire testing that is going on this week at the Red Bull Ring. Okay. And speaking of the 2020 tires, so we didn't talk too much about it because I know how much you love talking about tires. Can the, we
1: talk about engines next, please?
0: I have nothing on engines, but anyway. Um, there had been talk about changing the tires mid-season because there were changes in the tire gauge, and it was do, Mercedes was doing well, and everybody thought that if they changed the tire gauge, it would go and mess up Mercedes and... and They wouldn't have the issues with with blistering, and and maybe they could slow down Mercedes this way. Well, that fell apart. But it has, I guess, been agreed that there will be a return to the thicker gauge tires for 2020. Those tires need to be tested. Okay. So there is agreement. They're, They're looking to see how they can make it work of possibly running the 2020 tires towards the end of the season on race weekends this year, now the way it's worded is that it may not just be for the, like in free, free practice one or free practice two, but they may actually introduce those tires for the races. Interesting. Yeah, I I would be surprised that the if the mid pack teams go for that. I mean, I could see Mercedes and Ferrari going up if constructors has decided. Uh, who cares at that point? But if you're a midfield team and you're in a tight battle and you've engineered your car for these thinner gauge tires and they change the tires on you, that may not sit well with them. Yeah. So I don't know how that's going to work and if they're going to pull that off.
1: It be interesting-ish.
0: The other thing that is bubbling up and causing people some angst, some little heartache... So it seems like the talk of a London Grand Prix is picking up again. Ew. Well, in a way, it seems like it's a good idea, except if you're Silverstone.
1: Well, except if you're Silverstone.
0: And, and Silverstone is very concerned about this prospect because they're trying to renegotiate so that they don't drop off the calendar next year. Because remember, they enacted the exit clause. They don't have a deal for 20.
1: Correct. But London might be an awesome place for an e-race. But well, I, I, I don't understand. I don't, I don't necessarily think I see Formula One there.
0: I don't know. So London Mayor Sadiq Khan has previously stated that it should be possible to organize an event. And we know that Liberty Media has been exploring it more. Well, now that we are closing in on the British Grand Prix, which is in two weeks, and we don't have a deal, that's got the folks in Silverstone a little concerned. Now, what we don't know is if this is a little bit of gamesmanship here going on to uh, try and get Silverstone to cave to some terms. Mm hmm. We From what we have what little we have heard because they're not negotiating this in public. But from what little we have heard, it doesn't sound like these negotiations have gone particularly well for either side, and that either side is particularly happy with the current positions of either end. Um, and maybe this is an idea to try and push Silverstone a little bit. I don't know. So what the talk has been is, possibly holding event not in, in London proper but over in Docklands okay um, It's a favorite option um, and there's also talk of well you know even if they do Silverstone seeing if they could still host a race over in London Now how they do two British event two events in Britain in general with the calendar being as big as it is and the window for hosting events in England as small as it is. <laughs> I don't know how they're going to pull that off. But where it would be in the Docklands, um, this is the same area that's going to be hosting the final race of the 2019 2020 season of Formula E Series, as you mentioned. Um, And it's going to return to the city at the Excel Exhibition Center. Um, That's all we know at this point.
1: I'm opposed.
0: I'm not necessarily opposed. I'm only opposed if it does have an impact on Silverstone.
1: That's why I'm opposed. Okay. Because it will, and...
0: I mean, I think it would be very cool to have Formula One cars doing a street race, or Formula One doing a street race in London. Just like I think it would be kind of cool... Well, the idea of Formula One holding a street race in Manhattan would be cool I think the execution would suck but the idea of a Formula One race in Manhattan I think is pretty cool just like I think the idea of a Formula One race in London is pretty cool I'm not sure it'd be a good race I think actually I think London might have a better chance of having a decent race or a decent course than Manhattan would because really the only areas that you're not talking 90 degree turns is maybe central park and they're not running a race in central park
1: true true so london or chicago
0: chicago has so does does downtown chicago have an area they could run a race that wouldn't be 90 degrees
1: lake shore drive
0: okay but that's uh,
1: one of the whackers upper lower pick one
0: Maybe. I I, I don't think... Lower Wacker would sound really cool because it'd all be in a tunnel, but it wouldn't be very exciting because you couldn't see much because it's kind of a small tunnel.
1: (laughs) (laughs) While we were at the failed Fan Fest, there were random people behind us talking about the possibility of a race in Chicago. And they're like, you know, they t- keep talking about how Formula One cars have such downforce that they could ride upside down. They should do it on lower whacker upside, on the bottom side of upper whacker.
0: <laughs> Actually, what they could try and do is, again, this is where you look at Indy and what IndyCar does in St. Petersburg. And see if you could run the race in this hybrid type course that uses part of Midway or Chicago Executive Airport or something like that so that you've got a nice long straight but you've still got some curving twi- uh, curving twisty bits that are a little tight. You couldn't use O'Hare. It's too busy.
1: It's also, you know, an hour out of downtown. I mean... <laughs> Even in a Formula One car, it is a spit of land that is so far away from downtown.
0: And how is that any different from most any other track?
1: That there is a straight that's an hour long.
0: No, I'm not saying. Wait, what? I'm not saying go that you race
1: Shore right... Drive to O'Hare. That's
0: not what I'm suggesting. <laughs> it's the longest. I wasn't suggesting Formula doing anything One like that
1: ever.
0: Hungary's no, got the
1: shortest track. <laughs> we could create one in Chicago that is one lap long.
0: Well, you know, they could just run on the, the original Nurburgring again. But, no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is is a hybrid course that has part of maybe the, the, the pit lane and the grid and stuff like that utilizing a runway, but it you, the rest of the course is outside of the airport grounds. Not all the way into downtown Chicago, because that's just stupid. And on that note, we're going to call it a show before somebody makes it even more ridiculous. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye.